Welcome to On The Rise, a podcast about female college tennis players on the way up. On The Rise serves compelling stories and unique voices in women's college tennis. This is your host, Perry Shinen. In this episode of On The Rise, I will be speaking with UCLA alum, Caitlin Ray, who helped the Bruins capture the NCAA team championship in 2014. Led by head coach Stella Sampras-Webster and assistant coach Rance Brown, Caitlin achieved a top 40 national singles ranking and was named the 2015 Pac-12 Scholar-Athlete of the Year. Now, Caitlin works as an associate at Latham & Watkins Law. Hi, this is your host, Perry, and this is another episode of On The Rise podcast. I'm joined today by Caitlin Ray from UCLA Women's Tennis. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Perry. Thank you so much for being here. You've been such a role model for me for so many years, so really, it means the world. And I want to talk about all of the different parts of your career on and off the court, but I want to start with what you're doing now, which has deprived you of your sleep this week and probably many other weeks too. <laughs> so as a first-year associate at a big law firm, that's just par for the course, and you kind of have to remind yourself, just as we did with college tennis, we signed up for this, we wanted this, and so then it's kind of your baby to handle. And in the process, even in the more painful moments, it's where you learn the most and you grow from it. What motivates you to be a lawyer? It started with my dad, Perry. He was a trial lawyer for 25 years. So I used to go and watch him and I just really admired the way that he thought through things. I'll tell you a brief story. When I was 10, I drafted a tennis parent contract. It, it specified what they could and could not say before and after matches. And then in very fine print, it said, failure to sign will result in not being able to attend your daughter's matches. Little did I know that they were bankrolling the entire activity. So that didn't hold much weight, but my dad always laughs because he said, I think that was when I knew you might have a future when you whipped out your yellow legal pad and presented me with a contract. You know, he didn't play tennis, but going into law was the world he knew. And so he had lived in my tennis world for so long. And then I finally got to step in to his. So it started with my dad. And then after that, law school was in many ways, the first thing I truly did for me and me alone. I think tennis, obviously you you want to please a lot of people, your coaches, your parents, and then you get to college and you would die for your girls. And when you lose, it feels like the weight of the world. When athletics ended, I said, okay, this one is going to be for you and you alone. And you've clearly taken your work ethic and your passion into law. So I have to ask, is this like suits? <laughs> You know, Perry, I always say I've lived under a rock. I promise I have seen bits and pieces of suits. I won't know any of the storylines because between college and then law school, I just have not watched much television. But your point is very good in that I think a lot of times we see what it looks like on TV. You know, even Elle Woods and Legally Blonde, is law school going to be like that? And so I found that, you know, I think with anything, it's usually less glamorous than it is portrayed. But I think that's the more beautiful part. I think life is meant to be imperfect. I think that was the, the biggest epiphany in tennis was when I started coaching, I realized, oh, wait, it's a game of errors. It's just who's going to miss the least, but you have to miss to be great. And when I would work with my kids, I would say, you know, a ball in the net is just a piece of information. Any failure during our day is just a piece of information to like reprogram the computer. At the end of the day, what I think I love most about law, which is just like tennis, is that you figure it out. And it doesn't mean that you walk on the court in the first game having all the answers. But by the end, when you win that third set match, it's like, I may not have looked pretty the whole time, but I figured something out and I found a way. And I think really law or broadcast or any profession is just figuring out a way to the right answer. It is like the beauty in the journey, but then day to day, it is such a grind. And coming out of law school, it's like you've prepared to do this and now you're doing it. And what does that mean to you to make that transition? It has been 
so rewarding to make the transition. I think you and I have talked about this at length. One of the hardest things for athletes is that pivot from sport to the next chapter. And it certainly has not been easy. I mean, sometimes the hardest thing is deciding what you're interested in, because sometimes the degree that you choose doesn't necessarily align with where your heart is based on, you know, decisions for what was best for your sport. And so once I found that clarity with law school, and then you kind of get on that path and you feel some momentum towards your dream. And that is what I would wish for any former athlete or any person for that matter. Really, a lot of this podcast is about that transition. But what I'm so interested in is the fact that you've made that switch and you've made it twice. You've made it from on the tennis court to the broadcasting world, from broadcasting to law. So I guess now that we've talked about law, step back into broadcasting. And could you talk about what it was like to cover the NCAA championships after obviously being such a big part of it as a player? Perry, it will be probably the best job I'll ever have. I think my favorite memories were covering the Big Ten championships with Dean Linky, my co-host, and, and being able to be on a live show and to really experience it with those girls. And I got to experience tennis from a different perspective. It also, I think, really prepared me for law and just speaking with clients and the ability to connect with others and to think about the questions that are going to get at what you're wanting. And that's a very hard skill and something that you are so good at, which is, okay, how do I reverse engineer what we're trying to discuss? So broadcast, I think, instills a certain curiosity and persistence to see the idea or, or the question through. I mean, everyone who is listening can tell that you are a broadcaster. I mean, you have that talent and you have that skill. And how much of it do you think you were born with versus hard work in the broadcasting world? Because you did go right from the tennis court to the broadcasting world. I love that question. I've talked about this with my dad a lot. There's a book by Malcolm Gladwell that talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And it's always fascinated me because on the tennis court, I was the 30,000 hour kid. I had to work my butt off just to be as good, even to be a quarter as good as Robin Anderson. I mean, her 6,000 hours, I needed 50 and I still wasn't there. Or Jen Brady. I was always in awe of them because I didn't have the natural talent. I had some, but not anything like a lot of my teammates. But you can make up the margins with hard work and smarts and study. And so I don't think life is about just you either have it or you don't. What I would love young, especially female athletes to know is that your choices make a difference. And at the end of the day, we are all personally responsible for our choices. And obviously you need a lot of help to get there from our family, our friends, whatever faith that you have in your life. But I think the personal accountability that sport instills is very important. You were part of a team, obviously, at UCLA. But for that goal to win an NCAA championship as a team, how did you feel, you know, during that process? Yeah, I mean, I can still remember the dog pile on the court and hugging Kyle McPhillips, who came through for us. And I had let us down that day. I actually lost the match that tied it at 3-3. But just the love and the connection that that instilled in us. You know, I, I had lunch with Jennifer Brady a few weeks ago. I only see Robin once or twice a year, but she's, you know, one of my best friends in the world. And time, distance, age, nothing can change that bond that is made through those experiences. And I know you share it with your teammates. And winning wasn't the point. It's what that experience, those four years, every little workout, team dinner, it all built to that. And then you look back and you're like, even if we hadn't gotten the trophy, the pieces of armor you gain from all of that and then the relationships, 
it really is just a microcosm of the things that you'll encounter later in life. And, and I think at the time I took it way too hard. You're worried about winning and losing, and it just feels like life or death. And then you just kind of realize, you know, this is nothing compared to a marriage, having kids, you know, decisions that have real import for the people in your life. Or as tennis, at the end of the day, at worst, it's a win or a loss. But it gives you a first crack at how you're going to handle those situations. Hopefully, kids these days will feel the freedom to mess up and make mistakes because you'll be so much better for it and you'll deliver. Don't peek early. You'll deliver when it matters later when it'll all be worth it then. Going off of what you said about peaking later, on the pro tennis court, a lot of your teammates, you know, have had very successful pro careers. What is it like, you know, kind of watching that and being at such a different place in your life and your career off the court? Oh, Perry, I have to say, watching people that you love dearly get what they deserve and everything that they've dreamed for is the best thing on earth. Jennifer Brady, I remember we would always hit, Rance would do extra with us at 8.30 in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays. She said, Kay Ray, will you come out and hit with me? And just to see her grow and step into that dream so fearlessly and to be herself. I mean, the Jennifer Brady, when she's doing interviews, is who she is 100%. And just the way that she's handled success. I always really admire the people that are the same person now than they were when Jennifer Brady wasn't a household name. And I can say that about every one of my teammates. I mean, Robin Anderson, she's still out there grinding and she's killing it and has really just made her grand entrance. I mean, to see her encounter adversity and injuries and to see her persevere, that has been thrilling. And I also laugh because it's like, my life looks different. Sport was such a big part of my life for so long. And now I sit in an office and I have to, (laughs) you know, I go crazy if I don't get my one hour workout in a day. But to at least get to kind of live vicariously through them and cheer them on has really warmed my heart. And I think one of the best parts of growing up together is seeing each other live your dreams. It just may look a little different for each of us. Absolutely. And does it make you kind of regret, you know, stepping away from the court at times? I wouldn't say regret. You're right. You miss it dearly. But I needed to have that closure. I mean, I tried playing professionally for about six months and just candidly did not do well. I I simply wasn't good enough. But I think being able to look in the mirror and say, you know, you've seen it through and this is just not in the cards. And it was a gift because I think the hardest thing in the world is to be on the fence. Like maybe I could have done it. And that question mark can be tough for athletes, I think. So to be able to have a clean break from tennis, once I knew that professional tennis was not going to be my my final stop, that was helpful. You know, a great rule of thumb is just control what you can control and the result will take care of itself. It doesn't mean you're always going to win or get what you want, but it, you will walk out with a clean conscience. And so I think doing it the way that my teammates and I did it. We had no regrets. And in fact, we lost two other finals. So technically we lost out on two other rings, but we know that we left it all out there. And so I think when I left tennis, at least I didn't have to say, you know, if I had only worked a little bit harder, if I had only not cheated myself, allows you to, to move on to the next chapters with peace of mind. And, and, and I'm still disappointed. I wanted to win the U.S. Open when I was a little girl. It doesn't take away from the hurt that you feel, but you can take a step back and say, I did everything I could. We're not meant to be perfect. How do you set goals in this new chapter? The key is having the goal, because like you said, in college, it was, I want to win a national title. And then you break that into smaller goals, which is, you know, I'm going to try to be ranked in the top 50 in singles, or I want to win X number of dual matches. As a first year associate, you know, I want to build 
these corporate skills or I want to earn my way into this practice group. The longer term goal, which is to hopefully be shaping the sports space as a lawyer, I I always wanted to work at the intersection of sports and law, whether that's media rights and getting to truly combine the broadcast in that mix, or if it's representing players or working for a sports team or staying on the law firm side and and tackling the, the most complicated issues in the sports and entertainment world. But, you know, breaking into the smaller goals is also important, which is for now, as a first year associate, my job is to try to handle each task and work product to the best of my ability that hits my desk and then live to fight another day and then wake up and do it all over again. And then same thing as with sports, it's kind of like you look back and you're like, wow, that all snowballs into something good later. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. And just as sports is competitive, anything we all get into is competitive. But I think reminding myself, just run your own race and try to be the best that you can be. And then you'll know that you did everything in your power. One of my coaches would always tell me growing up, you have to prove yourself every day that you walk onto the tennis court. So if yesterday was a great practice, it doesn't matter. It's wiped clean. And for me, at least in the broadcasting world, for you in the law world, and also formerly in the broadcasting world, it's just kind of the life. No, it's so true. And I, and I love your coach's quote because my dad would always say, you know, you have to have a short memory in athletics. And obviously for the times you lose, a short memory is helpful. But also to your point, which is to wake up and to stay hungry and to know that while you may be really good, just like you are doing a fabulous job and are well on your way to getting to the top, just reminding yourself that you never kind of arrive continues to motivate you to fight for what you want. My last question is about fighting for the lineup, because this was something that I did for four years at Brown. What did it mean to you to break into the lineup? And what did it mean to you to kind of always feel like you could lose that? I remember walking onto the court for my first practice and realizing, wow, I'm behind. If I don't get better, I'm not going to make this lineup for four years. And that fall was really challenging. I did extra work on weekends and the coaches did so much to invest in giving me the extra time and reps that I needed. And I ended up winning 25 straight matches as a freshman, you know, in the spring season. But without that painful fall and really being humbled to say, you are not where you need to be if you want to play at this level. Because in juniors, we all feel like we're so good because we come from these smaller patches. And it's not until you're really thrown into a really competitive environment where it's like, oh, wait, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And that is such a valuable thing in life to be taken down a few notches. And so I think it instilled a grittiness and a hunger that I was able to remember when I stepped into law school to say, okay, everybody's starting from the same starting blocks. Let's go. And then when you get to the law firm, okay, we're all not as good as we think we are. And it doesn't matter how naturally gifted you are. You need coaches. And now I have wonderful partners and senior associates who are teaching me how to do this job. But it's always painful in that initial stage. So for any college athletes that are fighting for starting jobs, just knowing that I wish I had enjoyed it a little bit more. I put so much pressure on myself that I wish that I had let myself just express myself freely and fully as a tennis player, play my game. Don't let anyone discourage you or judge you. Just go out there and play as fearlessly as you possibly can and enjoy every second because gosh, it goes quick. I just so admire everything you're doing and especially for women college athletes and to have this space for them to come to and, and to learn from your experience. It's a way for all of us to stay connected and and we may not all quote know each other, but we've all lived the same experience. So thank you for all that you're doing for young women and for the sports space. And I'm just really excited to see where you go. 
you have been such a big part of my journey. So, I mean, it's, it's so emotional for me to even hear you say that. So thank you. My name is Caitlin Ray and I'm on the rise. And this is your host, Perry. And this has been another episode of on the rise podcast. This has been an episode of On The Rise, a Tennis Channel podcast in partnership with Behind the Racket and produced by Molly Schulson. Join us next time to continue our conversation about women's college tennis. This is Perry Shinen, On The Rise.